Welcome back to the Agora, where we follow developments affecting Greece. We've saved you a spot in the shade for this episode, so you can sit back and find out what's happening with the Greek economy. Our first episodes a few months ago were about how the coronavirus pandemic was affecting, and would likely affect, Greece's fragile economy. So it was about time for us to check back and see how things have been going. In the second half of the show... I'll be speaking to my colleagues from Macropolis, Yanis Mouzakis and Omaira Gill, to find out whether tourism actually came to the rescue, as many hoped, or if the problems are piling up on the macroeconomic front. Before that, we will hear from an expert on Greek banks, Jonas Floriani, as we take a look at how the COVID-19 downturn is affecting local lenders, were only starting to recover from the knocks they suffered during the previous crisis. The banks have adopted payment moratoria for customers affected by the slowdown, which is also fueling concern about the creation of a new generation of non-performing loans, or loans that are no longer being serviced by borrowers. First, though, we're going to start by taking a look at what's happening in the real economy. Our producer, Phoebe Fronista has been speaking to Konstantinos Kouvaras, the area director in Greece for the Bacardi Drinks Company. He explained what kind of challenges COVID-19 has generated and how the market's been reacting to these uncertain times. Here's Phoebe. The good news is that in his nearly 20 years of working for Bacardi Limited, the coronavirus is not the biggest challenge Costandinos Kouvaras has faced in this job. After a stint in the Middle East, he's now the area director of Greece, Cyprus and French overseas territories. And I met up with him a couple of weeks ago at Bacardi's trendy Athens offices to find out how you do business in the time of a pandemic. Obviously, when nightlife and all bars and restaurants shut down in March, that uh, meant only one thing for us, that we don't sell. Uh, so uh, our business is usually split between what you call off-trade, which is supermarkets, so people take alcohol back home to them, and on-trade. Uh, Greece is a market that is predominantly on-trade. In fact, it's probably one of the most on-trade markets in the world. So no matter how much people would buy alcohol from supermarkets and that would grow, and it did grow, it can never compensate the 80% of on-trade business. So we lost three months, like everyone else. Okay, uh, And that loss meant uh, certain things had to be readjusted, which meant, which meant that we need to readjust the spending and marketing. Uh, any sort of plans that were there for investments this year either in structure cost or other things had to be uh, removed from the picture for this year. 
so that you can defend as much as possible the the PNL. Um, we have not let off people. We have chosen to keep everyone. Uh, we have a view that this is something that is a is a storm, and when you come out of the storm, you want to keep your talent to be able to uh, continue your path of growth. Okay, can you tell me in a bit in like percentages, like say how much of the budget was would have gone to like spending? Uh, and marketing marketing, uh, marketing budgets have been cut by half until now, and we still do not know what will happen in the rest of the year. And it's pretty much the same for most of our uh, peer companies. Uh, so everyone is in exactly the same boat. Okay, obviously that is having a massive impact on uh, advertising agencies, on marketing companies who are not, which uh, on on uh, companies that do events or f- big festivals, because if we don't spend, they don't collect, and then they don't produce. So. Uh, so all, all of that is actually uh, has the is the impact that is creating that side of the of the business, and then of course you have the impact that's coming in from tourism, uh, which is affecting uh, most of our touristic customers. Let's say so the wholesalers that are supplying the islands, you know, the hotels and so on. Now whether the effect is as bad as we thought, where we were sitting at home in April, you know, trying to evaluate what the year would look like. Right now, I'm not feeling that is as bad as what we thought. Okay, tell me, tell me more about that. Well, it's, it seems that um, there is... Okay, first of all, there is, the, the, there is the, the August tourism that we're expecting to get. Okay, it's going to be nowhere near what normally in August would look like, but there is an expectation that there will be people coming in. Okay, and that by default means that the guy who has a restaurant or a bar on an island... Okay, we know that he's not going to be on his third or fourth restocking of his bar, but he's probably on his first. So from nothing to uh, one stocking of the bar, it's already something, you know. Um, Also, we're seeing that Greek consumers are actually taking time to go out and they are actually uh, finding opportunities to have uh, lower cost holidays or weekends, you know, uh, outside of the city of the urban centers. That's also creating some so, sort of demand, you know, and some sort of uh, of, of, uh, of uh, work for this type of outlets that are on the touristic areas. So, okay, I'm not. I don't want to paint a nice picture because it's not nice, but it's not absolute disaster, you know. It's not. Uh, it's not the Armageddon, you know. Uh, so it is what it is. Everything depends on whether the COVID crisis can actually be contained the way it's done, that there is no further lockdowns, that we don't come into an October-November lockdown, which is what everyone is discussing. So all of that is, ha- is happening as we progress throughout the year. Yeah, because they haven't been testing every single person who's gotten in. So there is a worry... Uh, that we start. That, that maybe in August, even. Yeah, I know. I know. We know that. Everyone knows that. So... Anyway, so as we are right now, we make the most out of business where we are today. And then where do we go in August? We'll make the most of the business where we are in August. And then we take it, you know, month by month. We currently run bi-weekly uh, reviews of the business. That's how we are right now. Normally, you would do that once a month. But now we do it bi-weekly and we've been doing it since April. Um, we are pleasantly surprised in June and July 
Okay, so our first, you know, after the op- reopening of the market in May and June, uh, there was good surprises from the gloom that we were expecting, obviously. Uh, nowhere near last year, okay, but, uh, and this is how we are. And are there, have you seen anything in like the products? Like are people drinking, like are the really, are the expensive rums not being touched, but they're drinking a lot of, I don't know. The only thing that popped out during the lockdowns in the off trade, and it was quite a surprise to quite a lot of people was Cipro. Cipro was flying. <laughs> now, I w- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm Does right. Bacardi have a Cipro? No, no. <laughs> no but, uh, Cipro was flying in the lockdown. In the supermarkets. Wow. Yeah. Cheap and strong. Yeah, probably, yes. <laughs> and what kind of impact do you see the coronavirus having on jobs in general? Like, is it a change of working ha- habits, more flexible forms of labor, maybe even redundancies at the... There, w- there would definitely, I mean, there are already redundancies and there are already people who are uh, in third of jobs, okay? Especially uh, low-skilled uh, employment, which is basically the summer, summer working in uh, in the tourist industry. That's they're already impacted heavily. Um, I am hoping that they will. What what we could see is other jobs of that level opening up in other sectors that can probably absorb people left and right. So if you were a bartender and there is no bar, um, I know from bartenders that I talked to during the lockdown, they were uh, continuing to make income by doing deliveries, you know. So it all depends on the person and the type of situation that is in the the sector that 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 person is. I mean, for sure, airlines are going to be affected, the hotel industry is affected. I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, sectors that are impossible to recover without redundancies, okay. Um, So... If there is a reshuffle, uh, I am hoping that at least for the people who are working in the hospitality industry can probably find themselves rebalanced into other sectors that are probably moving uh, faster forward. Um, Situation could get worse if this thing goes on for a long time. I mean, if you are talking about another 12 months of COVID uh, crisis, then I think in that case, then you'll be looking at probably an impact as big as the 2008 crisis in terms of employment. We spoke in July, and COVID numbers have been rising since then. So just before we published this episode, I checked back in with him to see if anything had changed. It had. Well, we, we, had, the, uh, we had the results coming through over the last four weeks, where business, as far as our sector, has been picking up. Um, as a lot of outlets were opening up all over the country. Um, But, obviously, as we expected, um, as COVID cases increase, you have the great unknown about how the government will react now that you have higher numbers of cases. Yeah, because just, just today they said that if the numbers keep increasing, that maybe they would even think about making bars shut at midnight. Exactly. And probably as they continue, they may actually shut them up completely again. Mm-hmm. So, but we had a good run for the months, for the one or two, one and a half months that we run. We had a good run. We spoke over the phone. He was in Cyprus. He made it over 
just a few days before COVID tests for travelers from Greece became mandatory. Greek cases have been spiking over the last few days. The government introduced new restrictions, including compulsory mask wearing on ferries and prohibiting standing customers in bars and clubs. Kosadinos doesn't think he'll be visiting his trendy Athens office and will be working from home in Nicosia for the next couple of months at least. discussing the Greek banking sector in this part of the show. These days, if you pick up a report from any international organization, the OECD, the IMF, the European Commission, somewhere in there you will find a section highlighting the great care that Greek authorities have to take to ensure the banking system does not suffer another blow as a result of COVID-19. Greek banks suffered greatly during the previous decade-long economic crisis when the proportion of non-performing loans edged towards 50% as borrowers were either unable or unwilling to pay up. Over the last few years, efforts have been made to rectify the situation, particularly through the sale of loan portfolios, with the aim of banks being able to fund the real economy and Greece's economic recovery. But the economic impact of the pandemic has raised concerns that Greek banks could find themselves in tricky territory again. To discuss their prospects, we're joined by Jonas Floriani, who is a director of in the research division of Axia Ventures. He covers the financial sector in Greece, among other countries. Jonas, thank you for joining us on the Agora. Yes, hi, Nick. Thanks uh, very much. Thanks for having me in the show. It's a pleasure to be joining you. Great, thank you. Jonas, I'd like to start off by asking you, How do you think the pandemic will impact Greek banks' balance sheets? Okay, look, this is, a, as you can imagine, it's a very complex question and it has many different layers. Um, I think that there are a few ways of looking at the uh, Greek banks' balance sheet, especially now that they will be suffering the impacts from the pandemic. Probably the reason of all of this question and and the point we want to, to address is in regards to the um to the balance sheet uh, deterioration, especially the deterioration of the exposures that may lead to high higher impairments. And they also lead into um, these impairments eating the bank's equity and capital. So what we've seen so far, um, especially under the moratorium, is that we have around or just above 20 billion euros of loans under the moratorium, which are the loans that we see that they are at risk to become non-performing, right? So um, if we break down by segment, um, 25% of the household and corporate customers and around 50% of the small business loans are under the moratorium. So for this reason, and also given that the measures are as of now until the end of the year, the support is at, at least at the end of the year, We, we don't, don't expect to see material changes to the bank's asset quality into 2020. Now, linked to that, uh, we have the NP securitizations on top that also have the potential to give the banks some breathing space. And by that, I think we can mention the, um, 
the Eurobanks Cairo, which recently closed, that was a 7.5 billion securitization. And the total securitization of the Greek banks amounted to, uh, including Cairo, amounts to 30 billion planned for 2020 or maybe beginning of 2021. So uh, linked to um, the, the deterioration of the exposures, it's difficult to have a prediction on how much of these loans can can turn into NPEs. But you know, if we stick to what has been mentioned by the Bank of Greece, for example, and the HFSF, the um, under the worst case scenario, the new NPEs have been expected to be around 10 billion, right? So um, if a 10 billion materializes in terms of new NPEs, combine with the 30 billion of securitizations by the banks, we still have a minus 20 negative delta in terms of stock of NPs in Greece, right? So of course that all all of that depends on the securitizations going ahead and also on how much new NPs are going to be created. But you know uh, what we see is that so far the the negotiations between the banks and the investors on the NP securitization seem to be progressing uh, on track, especially under a challenging environment under this crisis that we're going through. Um, and, you know, we have Eurobank Scatter that has been closed already. Another important development is that Alpha Bank's uh, Alpha Bank has already received non-binding offers for their securitization. And we expect NBG to launch their securitization now after summer. And, and while Pireos is also doing the processes on the hive down, and then after that, uh, proceeding with receiving the offers. So, you know, this is the um, this is pretty much the, the shape of the balance sheet and all of the impacts. Um, there are some positive impacts, uh, as I mentioned, especially on, on lending, on deposits, and on the supporting factors for customers. Um, additionally, we have the positive developments around the, the sovereign bonds. But, you know, the main question mark here, and, uh, you know, I think this is something that everybody is trying to understand, is how bad the situation can get on the balance sheet. Uh, but again, it's a, it's, it's a tricky issue. And also combined with that, we need to have in mind that there are positive developments, which are, for example, the, the sale of the NPs. So, you know, if the NP sales go ahead, that means that the Greek banks can, can pretty much offset a lot more than the, the planned new NP flows as estimated by the official entities. Jonas, the Bank of Greece said that the rise in NPEs, non-performing exposures, will start being visible next year. How do you see NPEs developing in the post-pandemic world? Yeah, so so again, you know, it's for now, I think um, it's still very early to assess what the impact will be. As I mentioned, the, the official estimates by the HFSF and the Bank of Greece suggest a ten to ten, a seven to ten billion increase in the stock of the MPs in the coming quarters, most likely to be in 2021 once the measures are phased out. But you know, uh, we also have to keep an eye on the shape of the economic recovery in 2021. You know, this will be key for the NP dynamics going forward. Now. In 2020, given the support measures and the payment holidays, 
the flows of NPs are likely to be muted. And, you know, this is what pretty much we've seen already in Q1, you know, even though most of the impact of the pandemic was from uh, the second half of March, but it is our expectation for the second quarter as well. Um, the question is on what's going to happen when banks and governments uh, start phasing out the supporting measures, right? Um, we can assume that if the support measures are phased out, there is a higher likelihood that the economy will follow a stronger path and customers will be able to, to resume with the payment of interest and capital. And I say that because I think it's unlikely for us to see all of the support measures from governments and banks being phased out if the situation from the customer side is not good. You know, this will, this will be very counterproductive and it will be very negative for the banks themselves and for the government. So I think that, you know, the the banks combined with the government, they find a way to, whenever the phase out happens, it will have happen in a swift way and in a way that the economy can support whatever is coming next. Now, going back to the official estimates, the 7 to 10 billion of new NPs that could potentially be added to the current stock represents at least a 10% increase uh, versus the 70 billion that we have as of Q1. Of course, that this has negative repercussions across the board. Um, a 10 billion increase in the stock of NPs would, in theory, trigger the need of 5 billion of impairments going through the bank's income statement. Uh, if that happens, it means that the bank's capital ratios would decrease by around 250 basis points. And I'm talking here about uh, system level. So this alone should be manageable given the bank's current capital position. Um, but combined with the expected hit from the securitizations I mentioned before, you know, it can potentially reach 500 to 700 basis points of capital depletion to the banks. Currently, the capital ratio of the system already accounting for the impact of Eurobank Cairo is around 16% versus a capital requirement of around 11.5%. So as such, we see that the system enjoys uh, more than 400 basis points of capital uh, buffer over the requirement, and this translates to almost 8 billion euros in terms of buffer, and and for that reason, you know, we understand that the potential hit uh, the potential hit to capital I just mentioned seems to be manageable, considering that we're also here taking a conservative assumption. We are not adding any uh, positives from future profitability, and also we're not adding the possibility that some of the banks have to issue non-dilutive capital instruments, which adds to the capital buffer as well. Now, the final comment um, on this point, uh, and I think uh, uh, people, people who follow the, the Greek banking system is aware of, is that there is, there is something called the DTC law, which pretty much says that in Greece, if a Greek bank record losses at the parent level, they have to issue shares against the state given the size of the losses and the proportion of the, the deferred tax credits in relation to the equity of the bank. Right. So, Just you know, if, if this situation happens, we, we're potentially talking about a dilution of the shareholders. I mean, um, we need to bear in mind that the way that the system is structured now and the uh, pretty much the, 
the securitizations have been structured, uh, followed the hive down of the bank's operation is pretty much a way around the DTC law. And, you know, we also have to understand that we have no visibility on whether this law is going to be changed or not, or it's going to be amended, but, you know, it's, it's very clear that the management of the Greek banks are finding a way around the law and at the same time not booking these losses that will lead to the illusion of the shareholders. Jonas, the Bank of Greece insists on the creation of a bad bank, hoping to address both bad assets and deferred tax credit. What's your view on this as a proposed solution? Okay, so the, the Bank of Greece Bad Bank, initially proposed back in uh, November 2018, aims to solve, as you mentioned, two, two of the main problems of the Greek banks. One is the high level of MPs, and the other is the high percentage of the deferred tax credits as a percentage of the bank's capital. In our view, we welcome any tool that supports the improvement of the, the Greek, bank, Greek banking system's balance sheet and profitability. Nevertheless, we believe that this structure is not going to be ready over the short term or while the banks are still focusing on the securitizations under the Hercules Asset Protection Scheme. Over the medium term, uh, it will be up to the banks to decide which path they want to follow. As of now, we would prefer to wait uh, and see what's going to be the condition of the Greek banking system once the Bank of Greece plan is up and running, so can so we then can assess which path is, is the best. For now, uh, we believe that the uh, structure of the Hercules Asset Protection Scheme is very good. And um, given that the banks uh, end up holding the senior trench of the securitization, they receive a coupon uh, on that senior trench, uh, and it helps also on the calculation of the NP ratio by increasing the denominator. Additionally, the uh, the hubs uh, engages with the international investors and also with local or international servicers. Finally, um, the current structure that is uh, that is that is live still maintains a sense of private entity versus what could be a public nature of a, of a national bad bank, let's say, uh, which, which in fact may end up changing the payment culture towards the bad loans. You know, um, we are aware that the idea is for the assets to be, to be managed and serviced by the same companies which are already uh, working with the banks or, or their peers. But, uh, you know, there is also that sense that, okay, now this is, this is a public bad bank, while, while the situation that we have now, it's, uh, it's private being managed by, by, by the banks themselves. Jonas, thanks very much for explaining that. And thanks for your overall insight into the Greek banking sector. I'm sure it's something that uh, we'll keep an eye on in these uh, difficult days. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Nick. It was my pleasure. Listening to the Agora Podcast by Macropolis. You can find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the time being. We'll soon be available in more places. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate us, and send us your comments. You can also visit our website, 
www.macropolis.gr for more information about our work. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. For the second half of this episode of the Agora, I'm joined by my colleagues at Macropolis, business reporter Myra Gill and co-founder Yanis Mouzakis. Hi, guys. Hi, Nick. Hi, guys. So we're going to be taking a look at how the Greek economy is faring under the pressure of the coronavirus pandemic. Amira, Yanis, we had a chat a few weeks ago about the difficulties the virus would create. And sadly, a lot of the negatives we discussed then have actually materialized. They have uh, happened. In fact, according to a recent survey carried out by a newspaper here in Greece, Naftaboriki, in collaboration with a couple of polling companies, most Greek businesses expect it will take two years for them to return to the pre-pandemic levels of activity. It's a sign of what, uh, how big an effect the, the pandemic is having on the Greek economy. And of course, those businesses, according to that survey, they're also crying out for more support from the government. So let's try to take stock of where we are. Amira, we were discussing back in May that despite everyone trying to put a brave face on things, And even though Greece coped well with the initial COVID-19 wave, the tourism sector was in for a terrible year. The tourism sector, of course, a vital part of the Greek economy. Um, and you, you were telling me earlier that you were, you've been looking out over the past few days for the comet in the sky, but haven't managed to see. <laughs> I think it's been a similar case for the tourists. Uh, everyone was expecting them to come in great numbers, but it hasn't been happening. Apparently... The hotel association saying that only around half of its members have opened, and even then they're probably operating about 25-30% of uh, capacity. Um, what are th- things looking like now that we're into what would normally be peak tourism season in Greece, Omaira? Well, I think the government took a calculated gamble in reopening the tourism season at its peak just to see what they could salvage in terms of revenue, but the gamble is not really paying off. If you look at um, the latest numbers from the Bank of Greece for May, I believe it was, receipts, travel, travel receipts are down 99.2% and arrivals are down um, almost 100%. And from some from certain countries surveyed, they were just down 100% in total. And as you mentioned, hotel occupancy rates are very, very low. They're hovering around the 22, 25% mark, maybe 30% at a time of year when it should be very difficult to get a hotel room anywhere. So it's, it's, um, it's looking very bleak for the tourism industry and the vital tourism revenue, which the government was banking on to, to recoup some of the damages from this year. So it's a pretty uh, grim, grim picture there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the hopes were that as Greece opened up in July and, uh, and moving into August, Uh, those numbers would uh, would improve. And obviously, uh, we've seen over the last few days the number of confirmed coronavirus cases rising in Greece and tourists aren't really coming in, in the big numbers as people expected. Um, Yanis, tourism is one of Greece's uh, main, uh, main job creators, although much of it uh, is seasonal work. How has the dramatic drop in the number of visitors that we discussed there with Amira affected employment 
in this sector? And what's the picture like overall as far as employment is uh, in Greece is concerned? Yeah, well, the labor market at the moment is finding a, itself in a bit of an odd situation because of the introduction of the suspension of contracts and uh, some of the subsidies that the government was uh, putting forward in terms of benefits and not allowing some of those contracts to be suspended while uh, a company was receiving those benefits. So uh, unemployment, although there's a bit of a lag, and we only have the latest data up to April, has not picked up so much. It's only at 15.5% from 14.5% in, uh, in the previous month. But also there's a little bit of a, a statistical complication there because uh, for... Um, the labor service to consider you as unemployed, it means that you have to be actively looking for a job. So many of those people that were on suspended contracts, they were not actively looking for a job because they hoped that they would get employment in the summer. And as such, they are considered outside the labor force. So I think that the, the, although the unemployment rate uh, does not give the, a good picture yet, I think good one is the, um, the labor's uh, database of... Uh, Ergani, of the Labour Ministry, which basically shows that by June last year, Greece had created 250,000 more jobs. To be precise, it was 253,000. Uh, the balance at the moment is uh, positive because of seasonal employment, but it's just 43,000, like roughly 44,000. So this is, a, this is a good indication that the the labor market overall uh, has been fa- has been under a lot of strain recently, and also another item to consider is the fact that from mid July the moratorium on uh, layoffs uh, is finished, and the and the government was hoping that uh, some of this could be uh, picked up by the synergasia program that they put in place to subsidize employment, and over the last two weeks. They've been trying to make it uh, more attractive by increasing the percentage of uh, subsidy on employers and employees' uh, contributions because the pickup is very little. It doesn't have the desired effect yet. So naturally, there's a concern that as the tourism season is also underperforming, we may have a layoff en masse towards the end of August and beginning of September. So without wanting to be doomsayers and sort of be, <laughs> put anyone, everyone into depression, there's a real possibility that going towards the end of the year, Q4, these uh, employment or unemployment numbers could look worse than what they've been over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, according to the latest uh, either forecast from international organizations or research that's happening domestically in Greece, uh, if the scenario of uh, eight to nine percent recession materializes, unemployment will exceed twenty percent. Okay, so uh, it's worrying times ahead. Uh, Omira, the lack of revenue from tourism has also taken its toll on the budget. Could you give us an idea of what numbers are looking like there? Well, you know, I think we had these uh, initially quite optimistic-looking numbers of. Uh, around 2 2.5% growth this year. All of those have been revised down now, uh, just purely based on the fact that tourism tends to bring in so much of the government's revenue. It's, it's quite a large contributor, as you mentioned yourself. 
So there was this initial estimate of tourism bringing in about 8 billion euros in receipts this year, which is now looking overly optimistic. And it might be a fraction of that in the end, because as we've mentioned, tourists are just not not traveling this year. Um, the government had revised its forecast and it was expecting a contraction of around 4.7% this year compared to the initial estimate of 2% growth earlier. And this has actually turned out to be one of the most optimistic if you look at all the other forecasts which are coming out because the IMF is expecting a decline of 10%. Um, the European Commission is expecting close to that 9.7% this year. And the OECD is expecting a drop of 8% GDP this year and up to 9.8%, depending on whether we'll have a single wave. And unfortunately, given the figures we're looking at now, it looks like we might have a double wave, which means the more negative forecast of 9.8% contraction in GDP this year. So overall, it's not looking that good. And there have been there has been some talk of perhaps domestic tourism can improve these numbers or give some kind of a boost to GDP. But domestic tourism typically counts for only 10% of overall tourism revenues. So even that is not really going to help in any meaningful way. Yeah, and uh, anecdotally, uh, I'm sure it's the same for you. You speak to friends and family and uh, people are re- very reserved about mm-hmm. taking holidays, a lot of people going just back to their ancestral villages and so on and so forth. So uh, I don't think that we're going to see much uh, activity there. Um, speaking of macroeconomic data, Yanis, um, as you look at the, the figures that have been coming out over the uh, last few weeks, um, what are some of the areas that concern you most? And are you seeing anything that is providing some hope for the months ahead? Well, as we said earlier, there's a bit of a, of a lag in the data that we have, the official data, the hard data that we have available. So uh, as most of it is uh, now up to May, what we see is what we expected, that during the lockdown and going into May, gradually lifting it, there, there was a, a sharp drop in economic activity. If this one piece of data that probably can give a little bit of uh, fresh uh, hope is uh, the economic sentiment picking up marginal in July. Uh, everything else, uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, uh, retail sales dropped 20, roughly 25% in April and another 5.3% in, uh, in May. Uh, industrial turnover is going down in the 30s and 20%. Uh, the, the, the issue here is, is not so much th- this set of data because we anticipated that. For me, the, the problem is that uh, the strategy was based on Q2 will be a loss. Uh, let's have a strong Q3 and then hopefully the uncertainty will subsid- uh, you know, uh, get reduced from the uh, pandemic and we're going to have a stronger entry into 2021. Unfortunately, this does not materialize. And uh, it looks like it's going to be a a weak Q3 as well. And the the data that comes either globally about the the pandemic or even the data in Greece, uh, we had 110 cases uh, over the weekend. And we haven't had this number since April. And we've been getting those numbers actually at the peak around 100. So 
the uncertainty is not going to it's not going to get out of the way. So there's a really good chance that the the, the bad scenarios, the bad forecasts will materialize, even though this might not end up being a second proper wave of the pandemic and we manage to contain it. Uh, as long as there's no clarity, uh, households and businesses will just remain reserved until more good news on the health front, whether it's a vaccine or some effective treatment. Uh, like you say, I guess that the thing that's worrying well, policymakers around the world, but obviously in Greece as well, is that this second wave or, or the return of the first wave with a vengeance, depending on how you look at it, is really putting a spanner in the works as far as this idea, like you say, of uh, transitioning out of the uh, emergence of COVID-19 earlier this year and back to some sort of uh, normality uh, towards the end of the year. That uh, idea, that hope now really looks like it's off the table and everyone's going to have to reassess, the, the Greek government included. No, no, certainly. And uh, also we, we have to consider the fact that uh, the governments in spring, they came out with a vengeance and uh, with really strong fiscal packages to to try and offset a little bit the impact. But uh, globally, and also specifically for the case of Greece, the fiscal resources are limited. So if you consider that so far the government has pledged more than 20 billion in uh, various support measures, uh, Although some of them are in the form of, uh, you know, loan, loan guarantees, loan guarantees, and so on. Yeah. Uh, over the weekend, we had stories coming out that were saying that the government is also considering uh, another package of about 4.5 billion support, mm-hmm. and, and justifiably so because now this time it will probably have to be uh, tailored and targeted towards the the tourism sector for the businesses and for the staff because many seasonal staff uh, have not had any employment since last summer, and the 360 euros uh, benefit for unemployment is, is definitely not enough to sustain anyone for another seven or eight months. Um, so the, the, the fiscal resources to respond are finite. Okay, uh, we, we've had some uh, positive news on the EU recovery fund, but I think the needs are more immediate. Uh, this, uh, even if everything goes smoothly, most likely disbursements will happen next year. And of course, they will be most welcome and they will be for targeted projects that can, if they're used appropriately, they, they could transform Greece and the economy and the way it operates. But uh, there will be immediate needs uh, over the next uh, few months. And that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be a very difficult autumn uh, coming up. And as you mentioned there, uh, the, the Greek government is caught between clearly the, the, the evolving situation, demanding more more input in terms of fiscal measures, but the resources being limited, as you mentioned, and the EU recovery fund, which is uh, a bonus, uh, and uh, Greece... Res- set to receive around 30 billion uh, euros in grants and loans if it applies for the loans. But that money is over the next few years. And, and the, the problems, as you described in the in the labor market, for instance, are very, very pressing. So I guess where we end up, guys, is that um, 
when we all come back and we have our next discussion in September, we can hope for uh, two things. One is that uh, we have uh, better news to uh, uh, share with uh, people, and the other is that Omari gets to see her uh, comet, which is uh, moving <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> I think if those two things come together, then we can say, okay, maybe the worst is behind us. But for the time being, it does look like we're in very difficult territory. Yeah, let's hope the comet is a good omen. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, if, if if we get to see the comet, maybe that will uh, bring a bit of uh, optimism for the future. Yanis, Omaira, I want to thank you very much for sharing your insight again on uh, the Agora uh, have a have a great summer break, and I look forward to resuming our discussions in uh, September. Pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to remind you that you can find more analysis from Yanis, Omaira, and the rest of the Macropolis team at www.macropolis.gr. As always, many thanks to our producer, Phoebe Fronista, who plays a vital role in putting together these podcasts. Hopefully, the Agora will be back in a few days for one final episode before the summer break. In the meantime, you can find us on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you listening and we welcome your feedback. I think that after the sobering things we've heard about the Greek economy during this episode, we're probably all in the mood for a touch of the blues. So here are the Burgundy Grapes with our theme tune, the Straight Line Blues. Bye-bye. Thank you.